from the era that brought you names like Chamberlain, Russell, and West. To Chamberlain, he's got it! Jerry West made it from the other side of the mid-court strike! To the glory days of Magic and Kareem. And Magic Johnson is out there celebrating! Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is on the brink of an NBA all-time record. From a time where last-second shots were expected. Here comes Kobe, from way outside. Got it! Oh, man! Gets it to LeBron, for three for the win, yes! And rings were handed out like candy. Here's Jordan. Yes! It's Duncan Dynasty with your host, Garrett Bougay, and it starts right now. Welcome to another episode of Duncan Dynasty. I'm your host, Garrett Bougay, and with me this week, I've got a very special guest. He is a first-time guest on the program. He's a fellow Sports Business Classroom alum. He's the host of the Business Casual Basketball Podcast. He's also one of the creators and hosts of No Trade Clause. You can find him on Twitter at A underscore A underscore R-O-N 25. Aaron Washington, thanks so much for coming on. A pleasure to be here, Garrett. Love your pod. Love the work uh, you do, you and Corbin. Uh, you guys are fantastic. So um, thanks for the opportunity. And I'm ready to get into some some basketball talk content as we're in the preseason and the regular seasons barreling towards us. And so I'm just I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I had the pleasure of getting to meet you face to face in uh, in Vegas, which was a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, I appreciate the I appreciate the kind words. So for for this episode, we're going to be breaking down the Western Conference over-unders. So uh, these are all based on uh, the the site that we use is PointsBet. So uh, that's how we got all of these. And we're going to go through each of the 15 teams in the Western Conference and and talk about uh, what we think. And uh, let's let's get started, Aaron, with the, the first team on the list, and that is the Oklahoma City Thunder sitting at 22.5 is their projected over under for this upcoming season. What, uh, what are your thoughts on the, on the thunder this year? <laughs> well, Garrett, uh, I will start by saying that I, I think the thunder are going to be at the bottom of the Western conference. Uh, I think it's gonna be a really rough season for them in terms of wins. Uh, I think it's going to be an exciting season though, with, with Shea Gilgis Alexander and, and Darius Baisley and, uh, you know, those guys like um, Josh Giddy uh, getting into the mix there. So, like, I'm very high on their future. And I love the moves they're making in order to kind of progress towards the next era. But, you know, it's going to take some time. And with any kind of rebuild slash uh, retool, you know, there's going to be growing pains. So, you know, I look at their total and I see 22. It's a, it's a pretty low number, uh, you know, all things considered. So, uh, I think I went with the over on this one, but not by much. I, I think they're still going to be in the low twenties. Uh, you know, I, I don't think it's often that we really see teams like in the high teens or like at 20 anymore or 20 or 21 wins. It's, it's pretty rare. So I went ahead and hit the over, but you know, I wouldn't put too much stock into that. I still think they're going to be at maybe like 23. Uh, I think they're going to have a lot of losses, uh, be at the bottom of the West. Uh, but I think it's going to be a good transition year for them. Uh, you know, a lot of good development for their young guys. Uh, kind of continuing to grow uh, with a head coach that's also trying to grow into his role. So um, I'm bullish on a lot of guys, especially SGA. He's one of my favorite players. But I think this year is going to be a, a learning experience, to, to, to put it plainly. So I, I picked the over, but not by much. I think it's still going to be a, a low 20s win total for them. 
Yeah, it's uh, it's a tough call because I feel like, you know, even last year when SGA played, they went 16 and 19. So, yeah. you know, based on that, you would say, well, if he if he plays more games than that this year, they're probably easily going to go over this. But also, you know, there's a decent chance that the Thunder organization maybe wants to do a similar thing and shut him down and not play him a bunch of games. True. And, you know, given what happened with this past NBA draft where they had an opportunity with that Houston pick to have the, the number one pick in the draft and maybe the number five pick, but instead they ended up with six and 18. So obviously, like Sam Presti wants some some high quality picks moving forward. He still probably does not have outside of Shea, like another guy that you would say is a is a for sure star of the future for this, right. for this team. For sure. So. It is one of those things where, yeah, the talent base probably I, I would I would go over just based on that. But given the what the franchise has sort of done in the past and and I think they they want to prioritize the draft moving forward, I'm going to go with the under. But, yeah, it's okay. it's a tough call. And I feel like this is going to be one of those things in the last couple of weeks of the season where you're just, uh, you know, you're, you're sweating over it. Yeah. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, they do hit the under like. As we've seen at the end of seasons, teams tend to pull the plug, so to speak, with lineups. So, you know, we saw that last season. You know, if a guy gets nicked up, we'll just shut him down if he's producing too many wins for the team. So, um, yeah, it could definitely be an under 21-20, something like that. Uh, I might end up eating this uh, this one, but um, I don't know. Maybe I'm just that high on SGA that I think he gives him another win or two to kind of just get over that. But you never know with a team like this. It could be, uh, you know, they could hit the bottom pretty fast. Yeah, another thing to keep in mind, and one thing I was uh, I was researching before we started recording was uh, looking on cleaning the glass and their sort of expected wins from last year over 82 games. Mm-hmm. And the Thunder were the number one in terms of exceeding their expected win total last year. Um, based on their point differential, they actually were only expected to win 15.7 games last season. Oh, man. So, uh, so that was another thing that I think it, that SGA helped with was, you know, they were just a monster in some clutch games and, and won the close games and then got blown out at a bunch of others. Right, exactly. So it could be more of the same. You know, maybe they only get the over because he's that special. But in any other case, like if he's hurt for any amount of time, Oof, I could see some 5, 10, 12 game losing streaks on the horizon for them. You know, OKC fans, it's going to be okay, but it's it's going to take some time for sure. All right, so let's move on to the next team on the list, which is the Houston Rockets. And uh, their over-under is set at 27.5. And, uh, you know, I don't know about you, Aaron, but given that they just had the second pick in the draft, they had what four first round draft picks this year. They, they've got a very young roster. This yep. seems a little bit high for me. It it does. It does. I'm, I'm, I'm assuming you hit the under on this yeah. one. Yep. Same here. I was at, yeah, I was surprised as well to see them in the upper 20s. Because, uh, I mean, maybe it's just because there's a bunch of like really intriguing young guys. Like they have Wood, they have KPJ and Green. Like there are so many players that I think could turn into all-star or near all-star type players. But when you consider the age, I think guys might be stepping over each other's toes a little bit, trying to find their way in the, in the league and lineups, things like that. I definitely do think, do think it's going to be an under, I think it'd be closer maybe like in the middle twenties for them. Uh, 25 wins, something like that is my prediction. Uh, but yeah, I think that's an easy under all things considered for this team. Yeah. You made a great point there with the whole idea of, 
Jalen Green, KPJ, even the Josh Christopher pick. I feel like those guys are all sort of gunners. Yeah, and, uh, I don't know how much their skill sets sort of help each other. You know, with with Golden State, where Steph, Draymond, and and Clay Thompson complement each other so well, I feel like a lot of the young players on this roster do the exact opposite. Uh, and you know, they uh, yeah, twenty seven point five. You're talking about okay, they, they've got to be like maybe average to slightly above average on at least one end of the floor, and right. I don't really see where that's happening here. Me either. Like I, I like the, the way they're going uh, KPJ. And I think it's just the one preseason game they played to this point is like really good. Uh, Jalen green, you know, crossed Kuzma into another dimension the other night. So, I mean, they're going to have highlights galore. So if you're just looking for a league pass team or you want a team that you you're going to latch on into and say that in like two or three years, they're going to be a contender. Like I can see that all day, but we're going to kind of have to take things one step at a time. And, Steven Silas is new to the job, relatively speaking, you know, second year with that team. And, you know, a lot of guys are still trying to find their role. They don't know kind of where they fit in into the NBA hierarchy. So that's why I think it's going to take some time for them, much like the Thunder in finding their way. But if we fast forward three years, I think both of these teams we're discussing right now are going to be, you know, in the middle to the upper tier of the Western Conference just because of how good their players are. And then on top of that, how, how well that their front offices have operated uh, recently. Yeah, I absolutely loved their draft. And and I also like, uh, you know, when I did a podcast a few weeks back with my friend Evan Dial on League Pass rankings, I had Houston in the top 10 of my League Pass rankings. Like, I think they're going to be really fun. For sure. uh, but, uh, you know, there's a difference between being fun and being good. And yeah, I think, uh, they, they've still got a couple of years before they they get to be a, a legitimately competitive team. But uh, let's let's move on to the uh, the next team on the list, which is the San Antonio Spurs, and uh, their over under is set at twenty eight point five. And I'll go first on this one, just because I feel the opposite as far as what we felt about the Rockets, where that was a little high. I feel like this one for the Spurs is a little low at twenty eight point five, given that you know I think this defense is going to be top ten in the NBA. It could, man. It could. Like, you just look at the roster. Like, Yaka Pirtle in the middle is a very stout rim protector. Uh, I think Murray and White at the backcourt spots, you know, probably one of the better defensive backcourts in the entire league, you know, if we look at it that way. And then, you know, going down the roster, they brought in Thaddeus Young. Thaddeus Young is a really good glue guy on that end. So if you look at individual pieces and then you look at Pop's reputation, he's built some incredible defenses in the past. I think it's very possible, and that by itself could lift them up another tier above the Rockets and the Thunder, just in terms of win totals and just how plucky they're going to be from night to night. Yeah, and and just getting rid of DeRozan and Patty Mills, you know, I think it's going to help their defense. They were 13th on that end last year, and, you know, if you look at, let's say they finish 10th on defense, which I could see them finishing as high as, like, maybe even 6th defensively. That's how high I am on their defensive roster. But, uh, you know, if they're, say, 10th on defense and 25 on offense, I feel like that gets you above 28.5 wins. That probably puts you in the low 30s. That's kind of where I see them anywhere from, I don't know, 32 to 34 wins. I would agree with that. Yeah, I also picked the over for them. I was was surprised to to see them in the 20s. Like, my first reaction when I saw that is, like, I can't put a Popovich coached team below 30 wins. Like, that was my initial reaction 
Like I know the roster is young. I know they're kind of in a transitional phase, but I still couldn't bring myself to put them below. It almost felt like a sign of disrespect or something as crazy as that might sound. So yeah, I have the, I think 29 is the bare minimum for this team. Just looking at some of the established pieces that are there. And uh, I, I think they're going to be greater than the, than the sum of their parts. And just looking at that team. So yeah, that's why I have them over. And I think we're kind of in agreement on that one. Uh, they're they're going to be, they're going to be tough to play against. Like they might not win a ton of games, but like nobody's going to want to play them just because they're just going to make it so hard for you to kind of get into your actions and do what you want to do on the court. Yeah. I guess the, the counter argument to them, you know, and, and the, the, the possibility that they could go under this would be if their offense is just horrendous, right? Like if the, the loss of DeRozan and Patty Mills is enough where, yeah, they're just like dead last in the NBA offensively. That to me is like the only possible scenario. But again, going back to they have Greg Popovich, like I feel like, you know, just having a a, a good coach keeps you out of being at the very bottom of these exactly. rankings. Exactly. I think like, it, you know, and they've addressed at least the Patty Mills departure in a way, like bringing a Doug McDermott, I think he's honestly underrated when we talk about one of the better shooters in the league and, not just that, but I think working him like off the ball and the things he just loves to do when he's like just going around screens and things like that, he can kind of replicate a little bit of what Patty Mills offered to the team. So I don't think the Patty Mills departure is going to hurt them as much as the DeRozan one, at least on offense, because he was such a good creator uh, as far as a score and also a passer. And that's going to be an area where it's going to be tough to fill that void um, when it comes to their, their, their rotation. Yeah, and uh, they're also a team that in the past have kind of prioritized mid-range shooting in part because they had guys like LaMarcus Aldridge and DeMar DeRozan where that was their their biggest skill set. And I feel like that's still going to be the case because, you know, that backcourt you talked about with Derek White, DeJounte Murray, those guys are are most comfortable operating in the mid-range as well. So I don't know if their shot diet is going to change too much, but But yeah, uh, you make a great point about Doug McDermott filling some of that role of of Patty Mills off the bench. And, uh, you know, I I think they're they took a flyer on Zach Collins, maybe overpaid him a little bit, but they're maybe hoping that he can provide a little bit of that uh, floor spacing as well from from the big spot. Yeah, I don't know how much I expect out of Zach Collins. I've kind of lost faith in him because, you know, he hasn't played in probably two years now. Uh, But if he can get them anything, I, I think that's a huge plus for them. Uh, as another kind of like big that can kind of fill the void because I don't think Pearl's enough by himself. You need somebody else to kind of be able to kind of soak up some of those minutes at the the four and five positions. So we'll see what he has left in the tank. Um, hopefully that contract doesn't completely blow up in their face, although it is partially not guaranteed. So I guess that's a plus. Yeah, that that goes to show you how many injuries he suffered when you're talking about how old is Zach Collins, like 24 and seeing how much he has left in the tank. <laughs> right. <laughs> Things change fast in the NBA, I'll tell you. Yeah, um, let's let's move on then to the Minnesota Timberwolves, and their over under is set at thirty four point five. And of course, last season Minnesota dealt with a bunch of injuries. Carl Anthony Towns missed a bunch of time. Also, you know, had all of those really tragic tragic things happen with his family in relation to COVID. And, you know, D'Angelo Russell missed a bunch of time. So, you know, it, uh, it really all went wrong last year for Minnesota. And they obviously were way below a 34 or 35 win threshold. But what do you feel about this upcoming season with a second year of Anthony Edwards 
and, uh, you know, hopefully for Timberwolves fans, a, a healthier roster. You know, man, I am, uh, I feel pretty good about the Timberwolves this season. Uh, I, I think there's a fine line between them being a really successful team in terms of where they've been in the past and then kind of falling back into those same habits. I think it really just comes down to their, their, their primary guys being healthy. You know, D'Angelo, uh, you know, Edwards and, and Cat, when they did play together last season, I mean, they're an incredible offensive team. You know, if you go and look at their, uh, you know, some of their net ratings and things like that for that three-man tandem, like, I'm sure it was top, one of the highest marks in the league, like when they played together for that limited sample. So if you could throw them on the court at the same time, you know, watching them in the preseason, like things are coming together really well. Uh, Jaden McDaniels kind of filling that kind of like glue guy role at the four they've been looking for for I, I don't know how many years um, is, is a very intriguing sign. Beverly providing some toughness at the backup point guard spot. I love that addition as well. So uh, I might regret this, but I'll go with the over for this, for this one, the over of 34 and a half. Uh, I think it's going to be a good season for them. I think it's going to result in may not be the plan, but I think they're going to be pretty close uh, if everything goes according to plan. So that offensive ceiling for that team is, is extremely high with capping a top 15 player when healthy, I think. And then Russell, and I think Edwards is one of the better perimeter guys in our league. He's going to be incredible for years to come. So I'm high on this team, man. And uh, I'm curious to see what you have to say about this team, because I think opinions are divided based on their past and their talent, but I, I feel good about it, about it. I think this could be a, the changing of um, this could, this could be a change for them in the right direction. Yeah, I saw some of their uh, opening preseason game, and uh, I, I try not to overreact too much to. to yeah, it's tough. <laughs> it's tough. Uh, but uh, but yeah, it, uh, it it made me think about it a bit. I I am a little bit lower on Minnesota than I think the consensus, but this is also just kind of a low number. I I'm going over here, but it's not by much. I think they're yeah, I good. kind of see them in like the 36 to 38 sort of win range, mm-hmm. um, and. You know, I could also see again, as you mentioned, if if there are some injuries again, like them falling back to kind of what they they were last year. the The biggest concern for me is the defensive side of the ball. I mean, obviously, with you know, if you're starting D'Angelo Russell and Malik Beasley in the backcourt, we just talked about the Spurs maybe having the best defensive backcourt. That might be the worst defensive backcourt, mm-hmm. or one of the worst. Uh, and then you know, Carl Anthony Towns, despite. I feel like having a lot of the tools to be a pretty good defensive center just hasn't been consistent with that in his career. You're also sort of playing Anthony Edwards and, and McDaniels kind of up a position uh, as, as far as I feel like Edwards is more of a, a two and McDaniels is more of a three. So yeah, I'm, I'm definitely concerned about the defense. And yeah, I think a lot of this just comes down to how good is this offense when they're all out there. And you, you mentioned, uh, albeit in a small sample size, they were very explosive when you've got two ball handlers in, in Russell and, and Edwards, and then, you know, one of the top two or three offensive centers in basketball in Carl Anthony Towns. Yep. So yeah, I'm going over. Cause yeah, I think they can, you know, I could see them being a top 10 offense, but I also think it's going to be hard for them to be outside of the bottom five on the defensive end. Yeah. That's, those are very fair points. Like I think we do kind of have to take things with a great assault on this team. Uh, just looking at, the complete roster, like there's still some definite holes on this roster. And you, you pointed out the, the backcourt, uh, you know, the lack of, I guess, a, a presence defensively with that backcourt. Uh, but Edwards does look like he might be taking a, a step forward in that department. So I think that might 
help alleviate some other issues there if that kind of holds. He apparently he apparently grew two inches as well in the offseason. Yeah. That, that helps. I, I'd be just absolutely scared out of my mind if I'm the rest of the league looking at Edwards and <laughs> the, the trajectory he's on. I think he's going to be absolutely incredible. But, yeah, I, I, I like where this team is going as far as their mindset. I think just implementing some kind of winning mentality, I think it's going to do a lot for that team. They're just so used to losing. If you just kind of get that out of their mind, I think that's one of the biggest challenges they have to overcome. So looks like they're already on the right track. Um, you know, I know it's only been, you know, a preseason game, a lot can change, but I think there's a potential for them to be, you know, a pretty, a pretty decent team. Like I wouldn't say they're going to be a, a definite playing team or playoff team or anything, but if they continue to just kind of make small strides and just stay healthy, that's the number one thing, um, you know, with cat, it's really hard to defend those guys. Um, they, they offer a lot of offensive versatility. So, there's a pathway to, to play an appearance for them and maybe they sneak into the playoffs if they kind of, if things break right for them. So I'm really interested to see where this team goes. I'm going to be following them very closely this season. Yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting. And yeah, obviously the play in makes things so interesting, especially in the Western conference, because yeah, outside of the the first three teams we talked about, I think basically everyone else here uh, would, would legitimately feel like they, they can make the playoffs in the West, which is, which is fun to watch. Oh, yes. So uh, let's let's move to the, the next team on the list, which is the Sacramento Kings. Their over under is set at thirty five point five. Last year, their uh, expected win total was at thirty two point seven. So expecting basically a couple of wins jump. And, you know, that's that's possible given the, the young talent on this roster. Sure, sure. Man, um, looking at the Kings, I'm just I'm just never a huge fan of. Like they didn't really change much this offseason, just looking at the roster. So I, I know that Fox and Halliburton could take a step forward and that could offer them some some upside, but I don't know. Like I'm still not a believer. I think that is still a very kind of toxic culture they have going there with how things have operated over the past few years. And uh, I didn't look like they addressed any major concerns of that roster. Like I know they brought back Holmes, you know, very solid player. And you know, Barnes is, you know, it's okay. He's a he's a decent four, I guess, but uh, nothing really stands out to me about this team. So honestly, just looking at the hierarchy of the West uh, after the Rockets and the Thunder, like I, I might have them next then them or the other Spurs, but at least the Spurs have something to fall back on where you look at that and say, I think they can really kind of hang their hat on defense for, for their example. I don't see anything like that for the Kings that makes inspires me to put them higher. So I went with the under on this one. Uh, I think they end up in the low thirties. I think, you know, another non-playoff season for them uh, because, you know, as if history is going to play out one way over a decade plus and nothing drastically changes to kind of alter that trajectory, I don't know. I'm just more keen to, or, you know, more prone to, to kind of be lower on them. So maybe it's just the past kind of, you know, playing out for me, I maybe I'm not giving them a fair shot, but that's where I have them. I have them, you know, a little bit under 35. Um, nothing really inspires me to, to go otherwise right now. Yeah, that's all fair. I will say in, with your comment about like, you know, the Spurs will hang their hat on defense. What do the Kings hang their hat on? And it's got to be the offensive end, right? They they did finish 11th last year, which surprised me when I looked at it. And, you know, I, I also personally am very high on their draft pick, Davion Mitchell. I think he can come in and be a productive player right away, similar to what Halliburton was last year. Yep. So when you look at the offensive side of the ball, I think the 
the optimist would say, well, Fox, Halliburton, and Mitchell are going to have the ball in their hands for pretty much all 48 minutes, and we're going to be able to create good offense from that. Um, the, the concern similar to Minnesota would be the defensive side of the ball, and the Kings were absolutely atrocious last year there, and I don't see it getting much better, although you know Holmes did miss some time last year, so if he's able to stay healthy – uh, he, I think he makes them at least like, you know, not atrocious on, on the defensive side of the ball. Right. Right. Um, so yeah, this was really tough for me. I, I did end up going under, but just barely, like I, yeah. honestly, I kind of see them right around about 35 wins. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's pretty much where I'm at, man. Like you did talk about the offense for last season and that offers a little bit of hope, I guess, if you look at it from that perspective and I am really high on Davion too. Uh, you know, going into the draft and after the draft, his mindset, you know, his, his, the way he plays defense first, like I love just everything about him. And I think that aspect of his game is going to be a huge benefit to that team, but I don't know. I mean, one man can't really change the whole culture of a team. So maybe that, you know, plays a role in the future, but as of now, you know, Luke Walton's still the coach for some reason. I don't know why, but <laughs> yeah, that doesn't inspire confidence, you know, from that perspective either. So. I, I, I hadn't fully considered that, but yeah, maybe subconsciously I went under because of the Luke Walton effect. Yeah. Yep. yep. Not, not in confidence inspiring at all, man. All right. So let's, let's move then to uh, the, the next team on the list, which is the new Orleans Pelicans and the Pelicans over under is set at 39.5. And when looking at the expected wins from last year, it was 39.2. So they were pretty much right at this line last season. And with their young roster and some of the changes they made are, do you feel like they're going to go over this? Uh, you know, I thought about this a lot because I was kind of torn. Part of me is saying like they have Zion, you know, he's a, he's a game changing guy. I love Brandon Ingram, uh, you know, but uh, ultimately I, I went under this one a little bit. Uh, I think they still end up at 37, 38, uh, just looking at, uh, the acquisitions they made in the off season between Graham, uh, you know, Zadaransky, uh, you know, bringing in Valanchunas. I do like the Valanchunas edition, uh, but the backcourt just kind of scares me. I'm not really sure what to expect from, from Graham in a full-time role there. Like, I think it's going to be solid, but, uh, I don't know. I'm just kind of, I'm still a little bit hesitant with some of the things they're going through right now. Like, you know, Zion's camp giving indications he might want out. So there's already drama kind of brewing in, in, in New Orleans again. Uh, I just feel like there's a lot of question marks throughout the roster, aside from like Zion and, and Brandon Ingram, of course. So until I see some improvement from the defensive end, like similar to the Kings, like that's what has drugged them down the past couple of years. I'm still tempted to go under uh, just because I don't think they have it all together yet. There's there's signs, but I need to see more before I'm really in on them as a 40 plus win team that's going to break into the playoffs and really make some noise. Yeah, I um, make a compelling case there. And yeah, David Griffin bet pretty big on Devontae Graham's major skill, which is the off the dribble shooting and that opening up things for Zion and, and Brandon Ingram and, and the rest of that roster. Also drafted Trey Murphy the third, I think, in part to just have some extra floor spacing out there. Valanchunas is a significantly better offensive player than Steven Adams at this point as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I'm 
I'm fairly confident that they're going to be a, a pretty darn good offensive unit. But as you said, the defense, they, they were bad last year and they made downgrades. Like I think Valanciunas is not as good defensively as Adams. I think Devonte Graham is nowhere near as good defensively as Lonzo ball. Yep. So yeah, it's, it's quite, does their offense get so much better to the point where it makes up for how much their defense is going to slide? I, I don't know. And then there's also the, the coaching situation with Willie green there now, instead of Stan Van Gundy. Right. So yeah, there's, there's a lot to consider. And, and also, you know, Zion was relatively healthy last year. And, you know, just because that happened doesn't mean that's the thing that's that that's what's going to happen moving forward, too. So if Zion misses any significant amount of time, that's that's yeah. also a concern. So, yeah. you know, the more you talk, the more I, I initially was going to say over. But I, I think I'm changing my mind. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go under here. All right. All right. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a, it's unfortunate, man. Like, I, I do want to say over. But as you said, man, Zion, you just never know. He had an offseason injury, which you never want to see. So I, I think they can tread water, you know, at least be a good team if he's in there. But if for some reason Zion leaves that lineup for a few weeks, like I, I am really scared of what's going to happen to this team. It might be a nosedive for them if he has to miss any time. Absolutely. So uh, let's get to the Memphis Grizzlies. Their over-under is set. At 41.5, last year their expected win total was 42.6. So uh, I'll go first here because this is, one of, for me, uh, one of my easiest calls. I, I love this team. I think they're going to be a top 10 level defense. I think, you know, yes, the losing Valanchunas and replacing him with Adams is a downgrade, but they have so much, so many young players that I think are going to get better. And they're going to have hopefully a full season of Jaron Jackson Jr. Yes, I, I'm very much on the over here. I think this is one of the easiest calls. Me too, Garrett. We're in agreement on this one. Uh, we have a nice streak going. It looks like for the last few teams, uh, yeah. we have the same pick. But you took the words right out of my mouth. Like Memphis had a great season last year. Uh, you know they swapped out Valanciunas for Adams. Uh, so you know it's definitely it definitely could mean it's a little bit more of a challenge as far as the offensive end goes. But, you know, as you just mentioned with his role in the Pelicans, like very stout defensive guy, at least in the paint. So you factor that in and Dylan Brooks was a flamethrower last season. He's, you know, one of the better two-way players in this league, uh, which I think is a huge benefit and perfect complimentary player to John Morant, who I think he has another step to take because in some respects, John Morant was a little bit down last season. Looking at his efficiency, that's definitely uh, an area of his game that could take a step up. And just overall, like the way that team is coached, the way they play, uh, they're very impressive. So I'm going to put them in the, uh, you know, 42, 43 win range. I think they're, a, you know, a seven or eighth seed in the West. Uh, I think they're in the plan, but I think they find their way into the playoffs again, uh, winning that one game to put them in. And uh, yeah, I love the way they're going. And I really hope Jaron Jackson is back in full force. Uh, I made the bold claim on Twitter, I think it was a couple weeks ago now, I said he might become one of the best three-point shooting big men in NBA history. And, you know, Cat is in that discussion as well, but just looking at just how effortlessly he can make it seem sometimes off the dribble and the catch, I'm really high on his um, ceiling, at least from um, a shooting perspective. So I love that team and can't wait to see where they go from here. Yeah, I mean, just just two seasons ago, Jaron Jackson, what, hit, uh, 
attempted like nearly eight threes a game and shot it at around 40%. Like he, you know, he's, he's already got a track record of doing that in the NBA. And of course he missed most of last season and it's really tough for any player to come back with like seven or eight games left in the regular season and then try to ramp up to playoff level intensity. And especially given that that was their first playoff opportunity. Uh, So, so I'm in agreement there. I I expect a lot from Jaron Jackson Jr. And I I don't think people recognize enough how much his floor spacing helps a guy like John Morant on the offensive end, because Morant is so focused on getting to the rim, getting to his floater, getting just into the paint, drawing defense and kicking it out and just having a a big that's playing the four or the five that can shoot at the level that, uh, that Jackson can. It's, it's a, it's a huge plus and a, a huge benefit for their star player. Absolutely, man. They just work so well together. I think all the pieces just kind of click and, you know, credit to that front office for, for, for putting that team together. And they combined the luck of getting John Moran in that draft, along with some savvy moves and free agency uh, to just build a roster that's very cohesive. So I love the direction they're going. And uh, I think even though this season, you know, they're still not quite a contention status, but they're going to be another tough on the playoffs that no team wants to encounter, especially if they're just trying to kind of deal with the, uh, the rigors of a first round matchup. Yeah. And they're also, you know, they're, they're well coached. I love Taylor Jenkins as a coach. I think they're, they're deep. I think outside of, you know, they, they would suffer if John Morant had a, had any sort of lengthy absence, but outside of him, I feel like they can overcome pretty much any injury just given the depth across the roster. So yeah, when it comes to regular season play, having that depth, having that quality coaching, I think makes a big difference. Yeah, and going back to your point about John Moran, I mean, I think last season, if I'm not mistaken, I think he actually did okay without him in the lineup where I think he had a sprained ankle and he missed like a, you know, a few weeks. I think they were around 500 or something like that. So they've proven they stay pretty consistent and pretty tough even without their best players. So that's a great sign. It, I think it goes to show you that they're not going to suffer any huge drop-offs and they stay pretty consistent throughout the season regardless of who's in and out. Yeah. And again, that's the benefit of having like a top 10 level defense is, you know, you can grind out some of those games against the the lower teams in the, in the NBA. For sure. So uh, let's, let's move on to the next team on the list, which is the Portland trailblazers. They're over under set at 44.5. Their expected wins from last year was uh, 46.8. And they, they did some, Overhauls to the roster, Carmelo Anthony, Enos Cantor are out. They brought in the likes of Cody Zeller and Larry Nance Jr. They'll have a full season of Norman Powell. So uh, what are your your feelings about the Blazers for this upcoming season, Aaron? You know, I've gone back and forth because I looked at them right before we came up to this this team. Like we were still talking about the Grizzlies. I was like, I'm not sure. Like I put under before we jumped on tonight, but I'm going back and forth. Because I think offensively, they, I mean, they have an extremely high ceiling. If, if C.J. Norman and, and Dame play at least 65 games to 70 games, I mean, they could be, I think they're easily like a top 10 offense. Uh, they, were like, second, they were second last year. Right, yeah. So you, you bring in Norman Powell for a full season. And I, I think, you know, if, if Nurkic is healthy for a majority of the season, which he wasn't last year, I mean, they just can go places. So. Um, the only concern is that defense, you know, they were, you know, pretty much at the bottom as far as defensive efficiency. So that's what gives me pause for putting them too high. So if I have to put a number on it, I'd say maybe right under that 44 and a half, um, 
you know, I, I think that I think the Nuggets uh, are going to kind of claim uh, that last home corner advantage spot. We'll get that to them in a minute, I believe. But you know, you have them. You have the Mavericks uh, kind of in that middle spot. So I think after them, the Clippers, Blazers. Yeah, you got the Clippers in there as well. So it's a tough call, man. But I, I think going slightly under, even though I love their offense and I love Larry Nance. But it, it, the, the middle of the West is tough, even though there are a couple of teams that are down a star player. Yeah, so we got a disagreement because I'm going over here. And uh, I feel – I was I feel, close going over, man. I was close. I really had to think yeah. about it. <laughs> I feel pretty confident about it, but I will say that uh, for the last couple of years after their off seasons, I've been like, their defense is going to be improved. And then it's just not. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, but, like, I, I really do think that their bench defense with, with, uh, with Mello and Cantor was just a huge reason why their defense was so bad. Obviously, you know – a Lillard McCollum backcourt is not ideal to, uh, to have a good defense, but uh, I think their front court defense is pretty solid. And yeah, I think the bench defense isn't just going to absolutely kill them this season. And then, yeah, I think just with, with Damian Lillard on your roster, if he's healthy and playing, yeah, I think you're pretty much a guaranteed top 10 offense and they've put up and they've put a, around him enough shooting and playmaking that I think they're, they could easily be top five again. So I'm going to go over. I see them more in the sort of the high 40s win total, um, kind of maybe 47, 48 range. Okay, I like that. I like that. I mean, it could definitely happen. And yeah, if their defense is improved in any way, um, that's very attainable. I think it's very likely to end up in that range. Uh, If they can pull themselves out of the, the bottom third of the league and defense, which I think is possible with the additions they made. I think Cody Zeller's very underrated pickup. Uh, just for that specific purpose. So there's a pathway for it to happen, man. I wouldn't be surprised at all, especially when you have a guy named Dame Dalla able to just kind of single-handedly win you games certain nights. Yeah, and I guess the other the other question, and maybe one of the one of the ways that they go under that 44.5 is if Billups is a downgrade on stocks as a coach. We still don't really know. Uh, we we still don't really know if Chauncey Billups is good at his job or not at this point. Right. So that is that is a concern. And as as much as uh, the Blazers defense really struggled under Terry Stotts, their offense was excellent. So uh, there's there's a possibility that, uh, you know, Billups is not able to fix the defensive issues and doesn't have quite as good of an offensive mind as Stotts and and they fall that way. So it, it's tough, especially similar to New Orleans with Willie Green and, and this case. They're, they're challenging when you don't know sort of the effect that the coach is going to have. That's true. And he has some difficult circumstances to step into. You know, Terry Stotts was there for a long time, and he gained a really great reputation with that team. So we'll, we'll see how Billups kind of adjust. It, it really is just tough for a rookie head coach to kind of step into a situation where, you know, the team pretty much has to win. You know, Damian Lillard has made clear that he's – having thoughts about asking for a trade. So, I mean, they have to perform this season and uh, that's going to be tough for Billups to step into. We'll, we'll see if he's ready to kind of step into the fire, so to speak, and, and really grind out some wins because the pressure is on him. All right. So let's talk about one of those teams we mentioned are kind of going to be in the mix in that middle portion of the Western conference playoff bracket. And that is the Los Angeles Clippers. They're over under set at 45.5 and Aaron, I don't know about you, but I felt like this was probably the the best line in the entire conference. I just feel like this is this is pretty much perfect for right where around where they're going to be without Kawhi for 
most likely the majority of the regular season. Right, exactly, man. Like, if I had to put a number on it, yeah, that's pretty much where I'd go is that 45 range. Like, I was making my kind of conference predictions, um, you know, in the standings. And, yeah, I mean, I had them at the, the, the six to seven spot around there. So just looking at it from that perspective, I mean, it's, yeah, it's definitely a case to be made that they're going to be right around that total. So yeah, man, if you're going to ask me like where to put them right now, uh, it's another tough one. It's another tough one. I can feel like they can easily end up on either side of this. So this might've been the most difficult one out of all of them, honestly, but uh, right now, give me the under just barely, but like I say, barely like, uh, 44, 45, right in there. Um, it's hard for me to put them over without Kawhi. I'm just, I'm concerned with how that hap- with how that goes for them, how they kind of adapt to it. Uh, I think Terrence Mann gives them hope. Like they have some other guys that could step in. Marcus Morris uh, should do wonders on that end, but we'll see. I mean, we'll see if Pod George is up to the task. If he plays like he did in the playoffs, they'll have no problem kind of hanging around that total. But well, how, how did you feel about that? Yeah, I, I, we're in agreement here. And yeah, I I also think they're going to be basically at like 45 wins. Um, you know, the, the Kawhi loss hurts. And also, I'm not a fan of the essentially the swap of uh, of Patrick Beverly for Eric Bledsoe. I think that hurts their offense. Not that Beverly was some panacea on the offensive end, but, uh, you know, Eric Bledsoe has has consistently killed teams with uh, his lack of uh, spacing ability. And, you know, yeah, they, they've got some depth, as you said, they've got some guys that can step in and, uh, and take on some of that role that, uh, that, that they've lost with, uh, without Kawhi there. But uh, yeah, I, I kind of see them as like a slightly above average team on both ends of the floor, like maybe 12th on offense and 12th on defense. And I feel like that's kind of right around uh, the 45 win mark. Yeah. I, I, I like that as well, man. Um, just kind of from that perspective. I think they're a very balanced team, just looking at uh, the contributors they have on each side of the ball. I mean, they have a lot a lot of guys, like two-way players, um, Terrence Mann from that perspective, Paul George. Like, uh, I think that's what's going to kind of keep them in the hunt. Like, I don't think they're going to be really bad, but without Kawhi, I don't think they could be that good. So that's why I kind of put them right in the middle of the conference and you know, right at 45 wins because I think they have a, a high floor but a low ceiling, uh, at least until Kawhi gets back. Yeah. And, uh, you know, from all that I've heard, it sounds like Kawhi opted for the, you know, he had the partially torn ACL, but from, from what I've heard is he opted for the, the, the surgery that is like a full ACL tear recovery timetable. And in that case, like, you know, would not be surprised if he misses the entire season and they, they opt at some point or they, they decide in April that it's just like, we're just going to shut him down. Um, so that, that's the other thing is like people are talking about Kawhi Leonard and Jamal Murray as if they have a similar timetable when Murray tore his ACL towards the end of the regular season and Kawhi did it in the right. conference semifinals. Right. It's definitely a difference, man. And when it comes to Kawhi, we, we've seen how kind of patient teams are with him making a return because of his injury past. So I think that's why it also makes me think he's going to be a little bit farther out. Like if there's a timetable, I think he's going to be at the very end of it just because they like to be cautious with, with cautious with him. And uh, I think even when he returns, it's going to be a very gradual kind of ramp up. So that's why I think this season is just going to be kind of be like a, maybe not a wash, but 
you know, I don't think there's going to be any crazy high expectations, but the great thing about it is, uh, you know, they have guys under contract. So I don't think they have to kind of really stress about what what guys are going to do next year. So I think they can afford to kind of see where this thing goes and maybe kind of just run it back for another, uh, another go. Yeah. Agreed there. And yeah, the, the only issue being that, uh, you know, uh, potential decline just due to age of their stars as the years go on. You know, this is, this is year three of, of Kawhi and PG now at this point. And uh, yeah, as you said, it, it's, it seemingly looks like it's going to be a wash for, for the third straight season. And these guys were brought in and were, you know, at least co NBA favorites in that first year. So to, to go three years without a title is definitely a disappointment, but uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see what they can do in, in future seasons. So let's get to uh, the team that beat them in the bubble, and that is uh, the Denver Nuggets. The Nuggets over-under set at 47.5. Last year's uh, expected win total over 82 games was 54.1. Now, of course, similar to the Clippers, they're going to be without one of their best players in Jamal Murray for a majority of the season, but uh, they do still have the, uh, the reigning MVP. Yes. Yes. Jokic, the Joker, big honey, whatever you have to call him. <laughs> He's, uh, you know, one of the best players this league has to offer. So I, I think with his greatness combined with his durability, uh, MPJ's emergence, uh, the solid point guard officers they have with, with, um, you know, just looking at Compazzo and Monte Morris, bring in Aaron Gordon, Will Barton, I think they have enough to continue to be competitive. Like, I don't think they're going to fall off a cliff without Jamal Murray. I think they're still going to be competitive, not at the top of the conference, but maybe one tier below that. So I went with the over on this team. Uh, I think they're going to be a 48 to 49 win team. Uh, Just looking at the cast of characters they have there. I think MPJ can perfectly fill in that Jamal Murray role. Like he was one of the most efficient players, not just for his age, but in the entire league last year. And another year under his belt, uh, working off of Aaron Gordon, working off of Jokic with their skills. I think there's still a really good core for this team. And then maybe Jamal can make it back for the second half of the season. So I don't think it's a Kawhi situation where he misses the whole campaign. So, um, yeah, I still feel pretty good about them. Um, I don't see them being a real contender this season, but I think they're still going to be very solid. And I think they're going to compete for home court advantage, as I stated earlier, um, in the first round of the playoffs. So. Um, yeah, I'll take the over and uh, I think they're still a pretty solid team. I'm going over as well. And, and when you were bringing up the, the point guard depth, you forgot about bones Highland. Yeah, I, I, think, oh, man, I totally forgot, man. I think he can, <laughs> I think he might actually be able to contribute and without Murray there, he'll have an opportunity. And, uh, you know, what I saw from him in summer league was, was impressive. And, uh, yeah, the, the Jeff Green acquisition, I think, is, is a good fit around Jokic. The more three-point shooting you can get, I think he'll essentially be replacing Paul Millsap in that, uh, in that rotation. So he's, mm-hmm. he's a better spacer than Millsap was. So uh, the, the more three-point shooting you can put around Nikola Jokic, the better. And, yeah, I'm just of the belief, and I've, I've said this on, on many podcasts at this point, but uh, I think Jokic, if you surround him with even just average talent, he's, he's somebody that's going to get you right around 50 wins. Exactly, man. And the great thing about it is, you know, they have some guys that are definitely above average. Like I would say that, you know, MPJ is definitely a, a star in the making. Uh, so he's very solid. And then the great thing about bringing in Jeff Green is, you know, he's a great kind of just plug and play guy. You can play under the four. 
They might try to play him at the five and limited spurts uh, as I think Brooklyn did last season. And uh, you forgot to mention that he can actually detonate on some guys every once in a while, even though he's up there at age. So he's not just a floor spacer. He can, uh, he can still get up and, and punch in guys' faces. So yeah, Green is going to be a, a great addition for this team and one of the best low-key pickups, I think, in the offseason. Yeah, I mean, that front court with, with Aaron Gordon, Michael Porter Jr., and Jokic, they're still going to just smash teams on the offensive glass. They're still yeah. going to be able to, you know, and I think one of the issues, especially in that uh, uh, in the playoffs, was that, uh, you know, they Will Barton was returning from injury and Monte Morris as well. And so just having those couple of guys healthy and, and Bones Highland, having more guys that can operate the pick and roll and allow Jokic to to be the screen and roll man or the screen and pop guy just makes him that much more lethal. I think Jokic is at his best when he's mixing up, mixing in an occasional post up an occasional pick and roll an occasional pick and pop and uh, you know, keeping the defense off balance. Exactly. Yeah. I love this team, man. And I love how they play together. Um, It's really fun. And it's, they don't like to go really with ISO ball. They like to kind of share the rock. And I love that about them. So I think that gives them a high ceiling and it makes them, hard to scheme against, which helps their offense. And it helps them um, overall just throughout the grind of the season, just kind of stay fresh. So when you mentioned, you mentioned earlier, you don't really see them as a title contender. Is that sort of, is that mostly because of, uh, you know, Jamal Murray, you're not expecting him to get back to a hundred percent this season, or is it more of you're just lower on Denver when they're fully healthy in general? Uh, mostly the, the Murray absence, uh, as we see with guys that tear their ACL, it's usually that second season back. That they're really a hundred percent. So I think even if Murray's available, he's not going to be completely hundred uh, percent, which I think isn't quite enough to kind of put them over the hump in the West, uh, you know, with, with juggernauts like the Lakers and the jazz out there in the suns. Um, but yeah, I mean, I definitely, if he was hundred percent healthy, I'm, I would be tempted to put them in the finals. Um, I was last year. I was really high on them and I think they had a great chance to get through the West uh, until Murray broke down. So I, I really like their talent and how they fit together. And um, next year I might put them back in the mix, but just because of that injury, I had them a little bit lower uh, compared to some of the other teams at the very top of the conference. Yeah. I'm in total agreement there. Uh, yeah. I think next year is going to be the nuggets year potentially, but uh, let's uh, let's get to the next team on the list, which is the golden state warriors. They're over under set at 48.5. They're uh, they're, win expectancy for last season was 42. So this is, uh, you know, a, this would be a significant jump if they get to 49 and get the over here. And mm-hmm. I think a, a lot of that has to do with the fact that Clay Thompson is, is going to return at some point. And the Warriors seemingly figured some things out towards the, the back half of last season. They did. I'll go ahead and say it right now, man. I'm on the under on this one. Uh, you know, if you're going to put them at 49, uh, you're talking uh, top four seed most likely. So I don't see them as being better than the Nuggets or the Suns or the Jazz or the Lakers. So that by default puts them a little bit lower. So I you know I'd put them in the mid 40s if I'm going to put a number on it. Uh, I think there might be just outside the play in maybe at the, the sixth seed or so. Uh, definitely improved over last season, but not quite in that elite tier uh, just because. Uh, you know, their starters are great. I love what their starters bring to the table, especially with clay back, but I'm still a little bit hesitant on that second unit, the depth of the team, the, the guys coming in after Curry leaves the court after Draymond leaves the court. So that's why I think they're not going to be quite at that upper forties mark, 
but you know, it's, they still have crew. They still have some amazing players. Uh, so I think they're going to make some noise and they're, they're going to be in the playoffs. They're going to, they're going to fight their way to the, to the finish line. Um, I just don't see them as being a, an elite team, anything like they were in those, those prime years from 2015 or so to, to 19. Yeah, that's fair. I I'm going the under two, but again, just, just barely, I, I see them kind of 47, 48 wins. Uh, and I could see, sort of a, a high ceiling outcome around 52 if everything goes right. You know, if Clay Thompson comes back and, you know, I, I don't think he's ever going to be an all defensive level defender after those couple of injuries, but if he's average defensively and still, you know, an all-star level offensive piece and you, and Steph performs like he did last season, Draymond performs like he did last season and you get improvements from the likes of, of Jordan Poole and the roster, you know, they've, They've put some more passing in this roster around Steph with the likes of Iguodala and Porter Jr. and uh, Bielitsa. So there's enough here. But, yeah, it's one of those things where I feel like everything has to go right for them to hit the over here, whereas I feel like, you know, there's a chance Steph goes down. There's a chance Draymond goes down. There's a chance Clay Thompson isn't quite as good as we expect. So, yeah, that's why I'm going under. But I can see it. Yeah, I mean, this, there's definitely a case to be made that they're a little bit better. You know, you, whenever you say everything goes right, I think of Curry being just as good as he was last season, Clay being 80% of his old self, 85%, Draymond not slipping any due to age. Uh, I think Wiseman improving in year two, a substantial degree, and then Bielitsa being very solid in those guys, which after Bielitsa's stint in Miami, I'm not quite high on him. So, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm not feeling that addition, but I mean, it could happen, but I wouldn't count on them, count on them being a, an extremely great team, uh, even with Curry's brilliance. Well, yeah, and that's the that's the other challenging thing and a, a reason why you should probably pick them under here is they've got Wiseman. They have two rookies this season that, uh, you know, if if Steve Kerr elects to play those guys significant minutes, that's going to drag them down some. I think that's. For, for the optimists, they would say, well, the second half of the season, Wiseman was out and, and Kerr just kind of went to an eight-man rotation and stuck to the guys he knows can help them win games. And if he does that for a full season, that would that would help them uh, get to this sort of a – get to that sort of 50-win range. But, um, you know, I, I think there there still is a – within the, the front office and ownership, there there still is sort of a mandate to say, well, we've, we've got a youth movement and we don't want to completely ignore that either. Exactly. Kind of said it better myself, man. All right, let's, let's get to the, uh, the next team, which is the Dallas Mavericks. They've got the exact same line as the Warriors at 48.5. Their, uh, their win expectancy last season over 82 games was at 46.8. So uh, expecting them to be a couple wins better, and, and they did deal with a lot of COVID uh, absences of their own last season. Um, but uh, I, I'm similar with, with Golden State here. I have the Mavs just going under, kind of being in that 46-47 range. Uh, same here. I, I look at their offseason, and there are some things I wanted them to address. They didn't quite do that uh, to really give me the confidence that they're going to be a vastly improved team. You don't think like, Reggie, you don't think Reggie Bullock completely changes their franchise? No, no, I don't think he's the franchise changer they're looking for. Um, although I do really like him as a player, I like his three and D uh, contributions. 
Uh, playing off of Luca, I think it's going to be a beautiful thing for him. He's going to have a great season. Um, but yeah, I was looking for them to add another creator next to Luca. I, I just think Luca has too much on his plate uh, when it comes to just making everything go on offense. THJ can do that in spurts. Um, Bullock is that's not his role. Um, Brunson can do that, but I mean he's more of a limited guy, offensive player due to his height. So I think I just think that Luca is just eventually just as he it seems like he does every year, just kind of wear down as we get to the latter part. So yeah, I'm I'm not really in on them as a contender. I think they're still a tier below. And uh, yeah, I think they're right smack dab in the middle of the Western Conference uh, playoff race. Um, fifth seed is kind of where I see them ending up. Um, another good but not great team because there's still a couple of things you need to address as far as the roster construction. Yeah, honestly, if Rick Carlisle was still the coach, I would be pounding the over. <laughs> but uh, given that yeah. it's Jason Kidd, who, uh, you know, the last time he was a head coach was one of the worst coaches in the entire league. Uh, yeah, that that in itself is is making you want to go a little bit under, even though, yeah, I, I think they did improve, even though, yeah, the Reggie Bullock is not the, the secondary star or even a third star that you would hope to get. But I think he's a he's a good fit around Luca, uh, you know, yes. as a guy that can play defense and hit shots. So they did get a little deeper. Uh, I do expect Luca to take a little another mini leap. I expect, you know, leaps from the likes of uh of Jalen Brunson as well. And, and I would hope Porzingis plays better than he did last year. Cause I don't think he can play any worse. <laughs> so, you know, just talent wise, I, I feel like I would go over here. And, and it's again, considering all of the stuff that went down that was against them last year with, with COVID yeah. uh, you know, just not having that this time around, I think would help, but yeah, I just can't get over the fact that Jason Kidd is the coach of this team. Yeah, but I wasn't even thinking about that, honestly, when I when I hit the under. So, yeah, you throw that into the mix, and I'm just kind of a little more uh, kind of disappointed on kind of where this team might end up. Uh, but going back to Brzingis real quick, like I I think that their entire season hinges on him because if, if he's anything like he was in New York, I think that opens up a whole nother realm of outcomes for them. But, you know, if he misses more time, which I think he will, <laughs> I, was, I was trying to train him in fantasy basketball like crazy last season because I knew he was going to get hurt again. And what do you know? He, he hyperextended his knee or something. So he missed another few games. So I think that's why there, you know, there, there's like a, there's a ceiling that they hit because, you know, Porzingis just can't get back to the player he was in that last new year in New York, where he was a shot blocking monster. And, you know, he was super confident on the offensive end. Uh, I think playing with Luca sometimes makes him too tentative. Uh, not really starting as well. So yeah, there's just too many questions with this team for me to kind of put them in the contender tier, elite tier, even with somebody like Luca. Um, he just has too much on his plate, especially when it comes to the playoffs. Yeah. Poor Zingas. I think the big thing that, uh, you know, if, if he's able to get back to New York Knicks level, poor Zingas, the thing that he does for this team is they're, they're going to be an elite offense with Luca, no matter who's really okay. around him. But if Porzingis is New York Knicks Porzingis, they can actually get to maybe even average defensively, which, mm -hmm. you know, lifts them up a tier or two. But right. uh, the, the one thing I do like about the Bullock acquisition, though, is, you know, if Porzingis is struggling or out, they can go with some lineups that have Kleba at the five, uh, Bullock, Tim Hardaway Jr., um, Dorian Finney-Smith, 
and, you know, a Jalen Brunson or, uh, you know, I'm, I'm probably not thinking of somebody, uh, one of their wings, but they have they have some more versatility where they could go a little bit smaller and still have some size in those two through four spots. Sure, sure. Yeah, they have options and, you know. Oh, I didn't even I, mention I, I didn't even mention Luca. That Luca was oh, the yeah, yeah. I was, Okay. I couldn't remember <laughs> if you said like when Luca was out or I couldn't remember. So that's why I didn't really think about it too much. But they definitely do have options they can go in. Uh, I think Jalen Brunson, I'm gonna put him on my list for for six man of the year. Like he, yeah. I think he's at least gonna be in the conversation. Uh just because he can come off the bench. I think he averages like 13, 14, 15 points a game. I think he's that good off the bench. So I think that gives them another cushion when guys like maybe Luca or Przingis are off the floor. Absolutely. Yeah. He's one of my top two or three in that category. I actually, again, the last episode I did for Duncan dynasty, I did an awards prediction with uh, Simon Sharon Gordon. I, I ended up going with Jordan pool. So I'm, I'm high on pool as, uh, as that guy and in part, because I think he's going to get like 35 starts, which would will up his numbers. Uh, right. It's a good place. Let's uh, let's move on to the next team. We've got three teams left here, and the next one up is the Phoenix Suns, the defending Western Conference champions. Their over/under is set at fifty-one point five. Their uh, expected uh, win total for eighty-two for last year was fifty-five point nine. I am smashing the over here, Aaron. Me too. Me too. Uh, yeah, I think it's it's a pretty easy bet to make. Uh, you you just look at how solid they are as a team. Like there's no real flaws with their roster construction. They're very well coached. They have star power. They have defense. They have offense. They have creators. I mean, they have pretty much everything you want from a team. And, you know, when you bring back pretty much everybody from last season, plus you introduce another, you know, a legitimate backup big for Aiton and John, um, JaVale McGee. Uh, I, I think that, you know, you, you're at least as good as you were, or, you know, somewhere around where you were last season as far as wins or how good you are. So, you know, I, I put them back in the contender status, you know, upper tier of the, of the, of the Western Conference. Um, you know, Cameron Payne can step in at a moment's notice if Chris Paul misses time. So I think the star power, the continuity, the balance uh, added in with the depth. So if guys miss time, I think there's somebody else right behind them. Like if, if Bridges misses time. You could throw in Cam Johnson, or if Crowder misses time, you know Cam can come in and fill that role. If Aiton misses time, you know Javale McGee can serve some time. Chris Paul misses, you know you have you know campaign ready to go. So I think all those factors um, pulled together give them a great chance to once again be near the top of the conference. Yeah, and they added Landry Shamit, who I think can be like a good fourth guard for them. I've always been higher on Shamit that I think everybody else, but, uh, uh, but I like his shooting and, and yeah, you mentioned it. They've got depth. They're well coached. They're, they're very young outside of Chris Paul. So, you know, if if Paul does take a little bit of a step back, I expect five or six guys to take a step forward. Even Booker is still just 24. Right. So, uh, That's wild to think about. Yeah. So they, I, I expect, uh, I expect Aiton to take another mini jump. So yeah, they've got so many, so many guys that I think will get better. They've got another year of, of chemistry that, uh, that they can continue to build. So, yeah, I think at the very worst, they're a similar level team as they were last year, which, again, was basically a 56-win unit, and this over-under is set at 51.5. Right. Yep. Yeah, 100%, man. Like, uh, I don't know what else you can say about this team, man, other than they're just, they're just so solid from top to bottom. Like, 1 through 12, 13, they just – 
have reliable contributors at every spot. I mean, uh, Mikael Bridges played all eight. He hasn't missed a game yet in his career, which is pretty crazy. So when you have that level of consistency and dependability when it comes to the wings and, you know, even the second unit, you know, you're, you're in good shape and you're going to have a, a great campaign. Was that it? Was that an intentional uh, campaign reference there? <laughs> oh, no, <laughs> it actually wasn't. That kind of came together um, by accident, but I'll take credit for that. I'm kind of, um, I impress myself sometimes. So, <laughs> <laughs> all right. So let's, let's move on to the, uh, the LA Lakers and uh, their over under set at 52.5. And uh, with, with the injuries to LeBron and Anthony Davis last year, their uh, win expectancy over 82 in the 2021 campaign was uh, 48.3. So this would have them, you know, basically winning four more games than they were expected last season. Uh, they made the, obviously, the blockbuster move bringing in Russell Westbrook. I am uh, very curious to hear your take and your thoughts on, on this Lakers team. Uh, so I think this is probably... The third pod I have kind of gone off on the Lakers, not including my own podcast. I still have to do that. But yeah, I've made it very clear that I am not a huge fan of the Westbrook signing, uh, not in terms of his talent, but just the fit. Uh, I, I think that he is a, you know, a very ball dominant guy, which I think interferes with what Braun and AD likes to do on the offensive end. Uh, I think his lack of shooting is going to be a major detriment in the playoffs. Uh, I think that teams are going to be able to scheme against that, and it's going to hamper the offense to a large degree, um, even though he's still a great player. Uh, you know, that being said, I do still like their ceiling as far as a regular season team, um, because it's just they're just going to be able to just overwhelm opponents um, many nights if everybody's healthy. Um, though that big three, uh, you know, in transition, uh, working off pick and rolls, things like that are going to be deadly. And then I, I love their offensive additions with Nunn and Malik Monk, um, Wayne Ellington. They're just going to be an incredible offensive team. I, I think they're going to be uh, at worst uh, a five or six o- um, offense in the league. So I don't like the addition um, specifically, but I think they're still going to have a great season. And I mean, I'll take the over slightly. I'll, I'll put them at 53 wins or so. I, I put them in the second seed in the Western Conference. Um, because they're just loaded with talent. And I think their the offensive ceiling is very high. Although I don't have them winning a championship or anything like that. I just think that Westbrook is not the guy to help you get there. Yeah. So, I mean, I think we're on the same page as being a little bit low on their off season. And I might even be low on both how their, their moves affect their playoff performance and their regular season performance. I'm not nearly as high on their, their offense, just given, you know, the 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 basically the for the the perfect formula for a great offense around LeBron was LeBron and shooters. Right, and this team is like they basically constructed a roster where it's like it's LeBron and nothing, just uh, LeBron in a, a cramped paint uh, with right. with the likes of Anthony Davis uh, outside of the bubble has never been a great shooter. Russell Westbrook's one of the worst shooting guards in NBA history. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, even guys like uh, Bazemore and Trevor Ariza, they're not instilling fear in the opposition if they're taking threes and yeah. and those are the guys that I think like if you're talking about trying to put together the best two-way lineups those are the guys that are going to be playing and then you've you've also still got the likes of Dwight Howard and uh, DeAndre Jordan and they you know the front office has mentioned that we want to get back to playing with LeBron AD and a athletic defensive center 
So that that cramps the spacing even more if those two are getting 25 to 30 minutes a night. Right. Right. So I I feel like this is this offense is potentially going to be outside the top 10 and and maybe in that sort of 10 to 15 range. And, you know, the other thing, too, is I I still think they're going to be a great defense just because A.D. and LeBron have shown that they're they're great on that end. Mm-hmm. And, you know, again, if you're playing two bigs, you're, you're going to be good defensively. And, and Vogel at this point has the track record that he's going to get his teams to play well on that side of the ball. Yeah, those are great points, man. And yeah, I mean, I can definitely see where the lack of spacing impacts this team. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I'm kind of, you know, you kind of did for me what I did for you earlier, I think was like with the Pelicans or something like, you know, you make your points and you're like, I don't know, I'm kind of starting to change my stance a little bit. So, um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's different ways to look at it. Like, I think it's kind of interesting because I think you're higher on the defense. I'm higher on the offense <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, um, yeah. I look at their defensive rotation as far as the backcourt and I'm not really impressed uh, all that much. I think if you're throwing none Ellington out there, you're throwing Monk out there, uh, even Westbrook at times out there are all going to be, I would say borderline liabilities on, on defense. And, you know, they, they they played their second preseason game tonight and they had a lot of moments in both games where like guys are just getting blown by with no resistance. And um, that puts a lot of pressure on the back end and you do have Davis, you do have LeBron. Um, but I don't know if Deandre Jordan steals that much confidence in me at this stage of his career. Dwight has his moments for sure, but um, Mello is another guy. He's going to get torched <laughs> for sure. Yeah. So, I don't know. It's, it's interesting, man. It's definitely one of the teams that I think we have slightly different opinions on. Uh, but I think it could go in either, either direction because I think there's there's valid points on both ends. Um, but I'm really curious to see how this ends up. Uh, but I think we're in agreement that this isn't a, a crazy team like the Brooklyn Nets that can realistically make it to the championship and, you know, be one of the absolute best teams on planet Earth. I, I just don't think we're on that, that wavelength when it comes to what this team can accomplish. Yeah, and I don't know if I said it yet, but I'm under. Uh, just just yeah. barely, though. I'm under on the Lakers, just barely. I think they'll yeah. get to around 50. I, I would say anywhere from 50 to 52 would be kind of my range, so just under mm-hmm. uh, the 52.5. And, again, I think it's more of like I see them as maybe the the fifth-ranked defense and the 12th offense, something in that range. And, and that, yeah, I think that's around 50-ish wins. So, mm-hmm. um yeah, we'll see. I think they're going to be one of the more fascinating teams to watch. And Vogel's got his hands full for sure, trying to figure out what lineups work, what lineups don't, which guys to play, which guys to not play. As you said, they, you know, they they added a bunch of guys that I think can help on one end of the floor, but are kind of liabilities on the other end. So how do you how do you mix and match to get the best possible team out there? I think it starts with Davis. If you play Davis a good amount, if he's willing to play center and you throw him out there at center a good bit. So Dwight and Deandre don't get too many minutes. I think you're in good shape because if you, like you stated, if either of those guys play starters minutes, I think you're in trouble (laughs) and no matter who you're playing. So that I think it starts there when it comes to forming a rotation uh, in who's starting where. All right. So we got, uh, we're, we're down to the final team, Aaron. We made it. Uh, we, uh, we are now uh, to the Utah jazz. They're over under set at 52.5, but get this, their uh, expected win total for 82 games last season was 65.7 based wow. on their point differential. 
Unbelievable. So uh, this one, uh, you know, if if I were to recommend anyone to to bet on anything, it would be the Jazz over as far as the any any over under in the entire NBA. Oh yeah, this uh, you know this is probably the easiest of all the teams you've done tonight. The fifteen teams. This is the one I did in about 0.5 seconds, give or take a, a millisecond. Yeah. <laughs> Just look at their performance from last season. I mean, as you mentioned, their point differential is incredible. Net rating was incredible. Um, all across the board, they're just a juggernaut of a team. And basically nothing has changed. Uh, they actually made some improvements with Pascal joining the team and Rudy Gay. So they didn't really lose anything. The coaching is still the same. The continuity is the same. The balance, kind of like the kind of like we talked about with the Suns, and then you try to address some of those needs in the front court that you had from last season. So, yeah, I think this is easily the best team in the Western Conference in the regular season. Uh, I think they're actually they have a good chance to make it to the finals. Uh, I just look at the roster from top to bottom, and your best player, arguably best player, um, you know, Donovan Mitchell is. Um, I think he still has another level left to reach. So you add all that in, and uh, yeah, they're the they were the one seed last season, and I don't think that changes because they're basically the same team with some minor tweaks that I think are actually upgrades for at least some of the needs they had coming in, going into the offseason. Yeah, I mean, I don't have much to say beyond what what you already brought up. They're 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 deep. They're they're incredibly good on both ends of the floor. They're well coached. They uh, they have the star power. They have the chemistry. They uh, and and I think even yeah this offseason the the additions they made gives them a little bit more versatility with Rudy Gay and Eric Pascal I think they can play some more sort of small small ball lineups so uh, yeah they have a lot to offer and uh, yeah I again like their point differential is one of the best in NBA history last season so uh, this this team is excellent like yeah they they might have a few guys in Bogdanovich Ingles maybe Conley that take a slight step back but. You know, someone like Donovan Mitchell can make up for all of that if he improves. Definitely. I, I just have one concern for this team. It's really just health. Um, just looking at Conley, misses time. It seems like every season he misses a little bit of time the past few years. So a little bit concerned on how he's going to hold up and how he's going to age. Uh, but honestly, that's that's about it. I mean, this team has everything you need to, to win the regular season, win the playoffs. And uh, even if they do take their foot off the gas at the end of the season, I mean, I think they're deep enough to maintain their pace. And, uh, you know, if Bogdanovich misses time, you know, if he if he rests or whatever, you could throw in Rudy Gay, you could throw in Pascal, you know, you have options. So, um, yeah, I like where this team is. And um, there's a lot of pressure on them to actually make it to the finals um, after the past couple of years. But I think they have a great chance to get there if they just make some minor adjustments as far as their on-court strategy. Yeah, really, it's to me, it's, uh, you know, the the one thing that would have them go below this would be if Rudy Gobert misses significant time because he's the guy that keeps their defense at an elite level. They were the number one defense last year, basically because of him and him alone. So, you know, if, if he misses a good chunk of time, then maybe, yeah, they get back to being a below average defense as far as their rating. And then that's how you you could fall back. But Gobert has been, you know, relatively durable the last few years. And even the times where in, in previous seasons where he's he's missed some games, it, it felt like it was kind of some freak injuries as well. Guys falling into his legs, that sort of stuff. Right, right. He's pretty durable. So I have a lot of faith that he'll play a lot of games. 
yeah, really the only guy I'm really concerned about is Conley. I think he's the only really like injury prone guy on the roster. Uh, but everywhere else, I think they're set for another you know incredible season. So Jazz fans got to be excited. There's there's some good things coming, hopefully. Absolutely. So looking over our selections, we had three discrepancies. So for the Lakers, you had the over, I had the under. For the Blazers, you had the under, I had the over. And then for the Thunder, you had the over and I had the under. But uh, both of us went with uh, seven overs and eight unders. So, you know, uh, we were we were pretty similar, but uh, this, was, this was a lot of fun. It was, man. I had a great time and uh, just always love talking ball. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of excitement for this season. There's a lot to look forward to. So this is just a part of the whole season preview kind of timeline in the NBA universe that um, is just always great to go through. So thanks for inviting me on. And uh, yeah, just had a great time doing it, man. Absolutely. Was there anything you wanted to uh, to plug to the listeners before before we wrap up here? Uh, sure. Yeah. If you want to check out my podcast, that's Business Casual Basketball. Uh, it can be found on Twitter and Instagram at BC Basketball 2. That's the handle. And bcbasketball.info is my website. If you want to check out some blog posts, uh, free agent lists, some other materials like that, it's going to be over there. And then I help out with a website called No Trade Clause. So no, notradeclause.com is the website. We have MBA business resources like um, salary cap sheets. We have draft, a draft capital page. We do a transaction tracker, things like that. So if you want to be an armchair GM or, or you just want some inside details in the league, uh, that's where the information is going to be at No Trade Clause. So be sure to check us out. All right, Aaron. Well, yeah, thanks again. This was, this was a blast. Thanks, thanks, thanks so much for coming on and hopefully we can do it again. For sure. Anytime, man. Great time. Thanks for listening to another episode of Duncan Dynasty. Corbin Ford and Gary Bouguet here with you. And uh, just wanted to, to quickly say before we wrap up, uh, please subscribe, rate, and review Duncan Dynasty. We're on, uh, we're on iTunes. We're on Spotify, wherever you get your, uh, your podcast. That is uh, much appreciated. You can find me on uh, Twitter at Garrett Bouguet. Corbin, why don't you tell the people what you got going on? Oh, man, you can find me on Twitter at CorbinNBA. Uh, definitely make sure to rate, review, and subscribe. I mean, follow me is just an afterthought here. But if you want some more NBA content from yours truly, uh, check out Round Ball Ramble. Um, it is my podcast. You can also find uh, the description uh, on my Twitter handle, or on my once you click on my Twitter handle. Uh, definitely check that out. And, uh, yeah, a bunch of other um, assorted pods. I love talking hoops just like my friend Garrett does. So you know where to find me there. That's the main part to catch my work. Yeah, can't recommend Round Ball Ramble enough. Corbin does goes, does great stuff there, and I've appeared on it numerous times and uh, <laughs> hopefully will be uh, continuing to appear on it in the future. Again, we appreciate you all for listening and, of course, enjoy the next week in the NBA calendar.